Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Hello and welcome to a special detour episode of Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. I'm Dave Rettelberger, and along with my co-host, Paul Cooper, we're going to do something a little different than anything we've done before. Hope you can enjoy this Earth Week series with us. Today is part one of three episodes we're releasing all during Earth Week. They're bite-sized mini episodes that are easily digestible and recyclable even. And today we're gonna talk about the Climate Pledge Arena story and their commitment to sustainability. Paul, will you introduce our guest? Yeah, so we're here with Brianna Treat, who is the Director of Sustainability for Climate Pledge Arena and the Seattle Kraken. Welcome, Brianna. Yeah, thank you for having me. Brianna, you know, uh, not a lot of venues have a director of sustainability. And before we get too deep into this, you know, Paul and I wanted to make sure that when we talk about this here during this Earth Week series, that the information that we have is great for venues where there's not somebody like you on, on staff, right? So how can we share you know, this information that that anybody, no matter what market size they're in or what they've got, can take some benefit from. And I know you've got some great ideas, but but tell us about your role there and how you got to be, you know, director of sustainability and kind of uh, uh, what the what the position entails. Yeah. So if you would have asked me 10 years ago, if I'd be working for a one, a venue or a sports team, I would have said, what are you talking about? How does sports and sustainability mesh? There's no way. What? I started my career out in Maryland, actually. I'm from Oklahoma, a very unsustainable state, which made me kind of look into the systems of what was happening and what I knew could be better. And so I started my career in waste. So I worked with small clients, big clients like the Orioles, Ravens, John Hopkins, um, building out small and large scale waste reduction projects. So diverting as much of the material on site at those locations away from a landfill. I then was a recycling coordinator for a spell and quickly realized, you know, there's a big impact waste has in both the private and public sector. I literally got done playing in the waste over those couple of years and thought sustainability is so much more than this. What what can I do next? And that's when ESG, environmental social governance reporting and uh, green building certifications were, were really coming into their own. And so really, I got slung shot to Climate Pledge by working with State Farm Arena in Georgia on certifying their arena as the first zero waste arena in the world. Um, That was really where I saw the intersection between sustainability and sports and this super untapped platform to reach 15,000 people every other day. And I knew that I would never be able to do that as one single individual but knew that an arena could. And so my job really at Climate Pledge Arena is to maintain our goals associated with being a part of the Climate Pledge. So the team and the arena are both signatories of Amazon and nonprofit Global Optimism's Climate Pledge, which essentially calls on large corporations to go net zero carbon by 2040, 10 years ahead of the Paris Agreement. We've committed to offsetting our carbon annually well ahead of that 2040 goal. 
So a big portion of what I do is accounting for scope one, two, and three carbon, and uh, all of our associated sustainability goals that really came with our naming rights agreement with Amazon. So our ban of single-use plastic in the building by 2024, we have a food sourcing goal to source 75% of all of our food ingredients within a 300-mile radius of the building. Um, that was a carbon reduction strategy, but also to, to really essentially help local procurement. Um, we also have some pretty ambitious zero waste goals. So 95% of all of our waste generated at our events is to be diverted away from a landfill. So those are kind of the, the goals and data that I interact with every day on site. I'm so glad you brought up the impact that arenas and venues can have with this space, because I think it is sort of like a twofold. One, if you're taking these initiatives, you're you know publicizing them, you are getting it out to so many people that are coming through your venue on a daily basis. But then two, I think, you know, anyone who has worked at a venue knows they put out a lot of waste. And you're talking about, you know, some cities have multiple arenas and stadiums and theaters and everything. So if we can, as an industry, start to bend that needle, I mean, that's a pretty substantial uh, impact that we can, as an industry, have because within our each of our cities, you know, we're pretty big waste producers. So I think it's, uh, you know, an exciting opportunity that we have as an industry to try to like start to lead the way and, you know, make those impacts from both a PR side, but also just a, you know, it being the right thing to do for the earth. No, and to your point, I mean, we as venues and teams always know that we're going to be hosting events, right? But what can we do? How can we dissect our operations to see what our impact is to then track it and to do better? So we know we're going to be holding events, but whether it's with energy, water, waste, um, what can we do to really minimize that impact as an industry? So tell us more about, I guess, the Climate Pledge Arena story. You know, I think Probably anyone in this industry has heard of the venue and thinks of it as, you know, being this uh, a bit of a leader um, for, you know, what it is and pushing boundaries and innovating. But how did that kind of come about? And I think I think also, you know, what made them really, you know, hang their hat on that? You know, they could just be in an amazing arena in a big uh, metropolitan you know city. But what was the really big push that was like, you know, we're not just going to be a fancy, beautiful arena. We're going to try to push this in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our story really starts 60 years ago. So 1962, the World's Fair was happening in the city of Seattle. And what's really interesting about the World's Fair is that really essentially that fair was to bring innovation and this excitement around the world. And it's been really neat to watch that come back full circle with the renovation of this beautiful arena. But again, started in 1962 with the World's Fair, the arena's gone through a, a slew of um, name changes from the Washington State Pavilion, which is what it was named for that, that World's Fair, uh, the Coliseum, Key Arena, and now most notably Climate Pledge Arena. And the building had a, you know, they've had quite a few tenants throughout the years. So, I mean, we had the Seattle Supersonics that left in 2008 to go to Oklahoma City, where I'm from. Um, so, you know, when the Sonics left, the building really was sitting there awaiting quite a bit of need for renovation. And, you know, the sports and live entertainment industry was still going on in what was, what was then Key Arena. But um, the city of Seattle set out an RFP in about 2018, 2019. And um, developer Oakview Group won that RFP. And um, 
you know, there was one small stipulation to the renovation of this arena that really kept sustainability at the forefront, even before the naming rights agreement was had. And that small stipulation was that, yes, we can renovate this arena, but we have to save this 44 million pound steel roof. Um, this is the same steel roof from 1962. Um, so we held that roof up on metal beams for two years as we excavated uh, a $2 billion arena to, to really attach back up to that roof. So we doubled the square footage of what was Key Arena, and now Climate Pledge Arena is a little under a million square feet. So even there with that historically marked roof, we knew that sustainability was at the forefront, the reuse of that roof, for example. That roof is actually enough steel to create a whole other football stadium, which is wild. Um, Jeez, so that's crazy. <laughs> I know, <laughs> pretty crazy. Um, so, I mean- Talk about recycling, right? Exactly, recycle, reuse, you name it. Um, so, I mean, COVID hit in 2020 when we were breaking ground, so I mean, we were under construction throughout the global pandemic. There were supply chain issues, as we all remember, and also a lot of health concerns, which was also kind of like just this intense story of the building coming together during such an uncertain period of time. You know, and during construction, we didn't, you know, we weren't intending on being a zero carbon arena, zero waste arena. Um, but mid-construction, Amazon came in and actually purchased the naming rights of the building, naming it Climate Pledge. And with that naming rights agreement came a few sustainability stipulations and goals that we needed to meet as an arena and team. One being, you know, as a signatory of that Climate Pledge to offset all scope one, two, and three carbon annually. You know, the ban of single-use plastic, our food sourcing goals. We have a transportation goal that 25% of all of our fans are to take public transit to all of our events, which is why we have subsidized free public transit to all of our events to encourage fans to take public transit because there is a plethora of that in the city of Seattle. You know, even during the construction and design, you can see pieces of sustainability that were intertwined. Um, our rain to rink system. So again, talking about that 1962 steel roof, that roof back in 1962 was actually designed after an indigenous rain hat, um, which is actually very fitting. I can given, see that, yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's very fitting now that we're collecting water off of that same roof in order for our rain to rink system to work. So our rain to rink system takes water off of that 60 year old roof, flows down to a 15,000 gallon cistern on our plaza and is then hooked up to our Zambonis to create some of the greenest ice in the NHL, which still blows me away. And I mean, there's still elements of key arena that you'll see at Climate Pledge. I mean, our north facing glass wall is the same glass from 1962. We simply took it out during the construction process, put it in a storage facility um, just south of here and put the glass in the exact same place as it was in 1962, which is always very wild to me. Um, so even from the design and operations standpoint, sustainability was covered every step of the way. Brianna, you know, there are people listening today that obviously don't have a director of sustainability, but, you know, once once you kind of get these plans in motion, what, what do you do? What's the what's the day to day for you? Because how does this become a, you know, a year round position? Totally. And, you know, I always say every job is essentially a climate job, no matter if you're an HR, legal, marketing, operations, housekeeping, an accountant, everyone at this arena and team have touched our sustainability goals, whether they know it or not. 
I always joke that I know what other people are doing, probably more so than they know what I'm doing, so that I can understand what systems are in place, how we can make them more efficient, and honestly work together towards this common goal, because that's really what combating the climate crisis is all about. No one individual will be able to solve this. It's a collective responsibility. And I think that that shows pretty well in our operations and just how our team talks about sustainability as an arena and team. That's a great point you bring up too. I think sometimes people do think, oh, you know, it would be great to change this one aspect, or I know we could be doing better here, but you know, maybe that's not my job, or and, and I and that's this other person, and and then you're kind of, you know, passing the you know the buck to them and hoping that they have the same passion that you might or something. So I think it is important that you know everyone can make their own impact in different ways you know there's so many different aspects and whether it's promoting things whether it's you know purchasing whether it's you know so many different aspects i think you know each person can play their part and even if they don't have a director of sustainability you know they could be a you know in a tertiary market at a very small arena but if they're slowly kind of making changes within what they're doing in the venue and then you know, trying to, you know, educate coworkers, you know, they can still make an impact where they're at, no matter where they are. Absolutely. And a really good example of that really is our accounts payable team here at the arena. I always joke with them that, you know, you all give me all the data I need to do my job. And you didn't even know you were helping me out with that. You just send me the bills every month. But it is such a key piece in tracking and measuring everything that we do. And I think it's just a really good reminder that really we all have a part to play. It's just really kind of educating ourselves and then being proactive about it. Brianna, one, one last question for you on, on this topic, really. When we talk about, you know, sustainability, you know, it may be important. There's somebody listening and they're like, this is important to me. But I know when I go to my boss, they won't care because he's all <laughs> bottom line. And uh, right. uh, he's, uh, you know, maybe a little more uh, conservative. Let's put it that way. So talk to that person out there and and kind of what what argument could they make to help their building become more sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step in, in even really having these discussions is to have some data that helps you tell this story, right? So, I mean, start tracking things like energy, water, waste usage at your arena, understand where your impact is, and, and really understanding where you're at will tell you the story of where you could be. So that's what I always say when I when people really just want to start starting out and, and really just trying to understand the impact of where they are or just where they're at with sustainability, Track and measure, track and measure. It's gotta, it's gotta start somewhere. All right, thank you for uh, for this episode. Next time we're gonna talk a little about carbon, right? That's right. Yep. What carbon looks like in arena from a scope one, two, and three perspective. All right, Brianna, appreciate you joining us for this special Earth Week series on adventures in venue land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star review so you can help others find us. And yeah, two more Earth Week episodes coming up with Brianna. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttleberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. 
Guest Booking and Brand Strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest Research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.